Hello and welcome to another Substance on Substance. I'm Phil Graham, Head of the Economic Substance Analysis at Harney's in the BVI, joined by Josh Mongeau. Welcome back, Phil. Thank you. He has stepped away from the chairman's chair. He's back in his uh, his appropriate role, and obviously good to be good to be here. Um, I've returned from a from a trip actually over to uh, to Zurich, where where it was fascinating to hear some of the insights um, from from users of, of BVI vehicles over there, and actually a general um, sort of very high level of understanding, which which was fantastic, and had a thoroughly enjoyable time discussing some of the nuances of this legislation. Um, one of the things we wanted to get into today was really to discuss two aspects. The first aspect was the recent adoption of um, the statutory uh, legislation and, frankly, looking at the October 1st date, which there, there are a variety of sort of scurrilous rumours floating around around October 1 and what that means and really to, to hammer that home with Josh as to, as to what it actually does mean. And then secondly, um, Josh and our colleague George Weston have just done, um, literally just run out of a a really interesting presentation to the local uh, Association of Registered Agents and to really touch on some of the topics that that, that Josh was talking about there. So without further ado, let me me start on October 1. Josh, what is this date? Um, Should people be worried? What should people be looking at? Um, where, Where does it come from? Thanks, yeah, and um, while Phil's been in Zurich, I've been merrily uh, chipping away at the, the coalface, and this is a question that keeps coming up, is is what does the 1st of October date mean? Effectively, under the amended uh, beneficial ownership legislation, there is an ongoing obligation on every corporate and legal entity, as defined, um, even if they are going to claim non-resident status to be exempt from the substance requirements, to identify whether or not they have any relevant activities, and if so, which ones, and some other new, um, kind of less less key information. So that, that is there to bolster effectively the compliance periods for economic substance, which have started for all entities, and really to reinforce the fact this is something that the company needs to be thinking about now. That is not a reporting requirement. It's a, it's a you need to be thinking about this requirement. Um, the information will get sent to the registered agent um, on a backwards-looking basis in 2020, generally. The one exception to that is if you were previously an exempt person under BOSS, then those exempt persons, if they carry on any relevant activity, will cease to be exempt and they will need to be reporting beneficial ownership information. The time frame for that reporting is 15 days from identifying the beneficial owner or, or the change. So subject to that one wrinkle, this is very much a um, 2020 problem for registered agents to think about, but it's a, it's a 2019 problem for companies to think about. Now, to ask a sort of interesting academic question without wanting to set sort of wild hairs running, Josh, some people have said to us, well, OK, technically, does that mean that the ITA could come in now um, to an entity and say from October 1, you should have been thinking about this. It's very clear that you should have been thinking about this. Whilst you haven't reported yet, because you have no obligation to do so, please demonstrate to us that you've, you are thinking about it. And so the investigation power generally is in respect to financial periods that end um, on or after the 31st of December this, this year. So the way we're reading that, I think, is effectively that they can, they can investigate you for, for this period. Um, but that said, it is, it is highly unlikely that at this point in time they're going to be coming out and... and investigating people's compliance, particularly given the issues that we've had around timing of implementation and, and the publication of their final rules. Um, really, the message is you need to be thinking about your compliance uh, position now and your status and, and, and classifying yourselves if you haven't already, and then effectively putting in place the information that you're going to be able to submit to your registered agent to, um, to discharge your reporting obligations next, next year. 
And do you think do you think on that basis that if someone, for example, an an entity decided right at the end of the period to start thinking about this for the first time, or even worse, right at the end of their reporting period, sort of, you know, six months after the end of their first period, started to think about it then and put something in place. Is there a risk that even if they put something in place at that point in time, the ITA can come back and say, well, hang on a sec, from October 1, you should have been thinking about this. Why on earth did you leave it so late? Yeah, theoretically, that's the that's the kind of the, the, the nightmare position that we're trying to prepare people against to, to get and think about this now and to start building, you know, their, their resolutions and their minute book out to, to record, you know, if they took advice, what the advice said, um, how they how they fall out under legislation, or, or if, they, if they haven't taken advice and they're doing this themselves, then, um, you know, what was the basis of your decision making? Um, in theory, if you got to the, you know, the end of the end of the compliance period and, and effectively it's the first time you've thought about it, then... Yes, there is a criminal offence now under boss, um, which is which is worth being aware of, um, particularly if you're uh, you know a director of an entity, for example. And we've kind of already talked about in that in the in the, in the last session. Um, the last thing I just wanted to pick up on um, that we were discussing with the with the ARA um, really has to do with this exercise that we think entities should be going through now of creating you know kind of their what their reporting is going to look like effectively of, of putting in place their minute book and gathering the information um, that falls out of their of their position under the legislation. So whether that's evidence that they're tax residents somewhere else currently under that expanded concept under part four of the rules or that they're out of scope of the rules entirely because of their because of their activities or that they're a pure equity holding entity, in which case it's quite simple against just determining that and being prepared to report, or that they had to do something you know more substantial, um, then if you have taken um, legal advice in, in doing that exercise, it's important to remember that that will be privileged in the hands of the person that it's, it's addressed to, as long as they've come to, to the law firm that's given it kind of with clean hands and given them all the information that the lawyer needed to, to, to do that classification exercise or give that advice. Um, that's important to remember as we start to think about reporting because people may want to give that to their registered agent or show that to their professional directors to kind of, you know, reassure them that, that this is something we've thought about, you've discharged your duties, the, the RA has just taken reasonable steps to, to, you know, gather the information and make sure that's correct. When you're doing that, remember that that advice is privileged and make it clear that that's given on a confidential basis. Um, you know, it's not being given to the world at large when you do that. It's being delivered for a specific purpose to the RA, whoever it is. And the RAs then need to be thinking about, you know, we may be holding clients' privileged information at this point on our files. So the, the, the headline point is the world at large is not entitled to this. If a regulator comes along and asks you to give up the information you hold, you need to remembering, is this legal advice privilege and escalating it accordingly, either, you know, back to the client or, or internally? I think, I think that's a great point. And it's incredibly important, you know, the, the, the protection, the confidentiality of information here is, 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 is so important to so many clients. Um, and, and there is a sort of ongoing concern around this area that, that, that what this is doing is opening up sort of, you know, an information flow. And I think that that, that point around legal privilege is, is a really important one that, that Josh raises. Anything else that, that came out of your talk? Any interesting questions that you had today? Um, so we had an interesting one about, um, as I should say, interesting in, in this context. It's quite, a, it's quite a dry one, but it's definitely one for, um, for registered agents and uh, licensees to be thinking about is first of all the interaction with the changes to the regulatory code that we've had coming through, which yep. are really bolstering you know, the, the, the compliance responsibilities of, of BBI licensees, and also around um, record-keeping requirements and kind of GDPR and how that interrelates. And I think that the, the headline message is the, the general look-back period that the ITA has under this um, legislation is, is six years from the end of the financial period, unless there's some kind of greater impropriety, in which case it's unlimited. So that's actually building out the length of time that, that licensees and companies need to be keeping their books and records for, because generally the rule is five years. 
um, under the under the BCA and um, other legislation. So six six years from the end of the financial period is probably the, the general rule. Very interesting, as always, Josh. Thank you very much. Cheers. Bye.